Welcome to the EchoCast, the podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. I'm your host, Morgan, aka Von Diesel, and this week we'll be covering new Star Wars Outlaws info, Starfield Settled System shorts, Diablo 4 controversies, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. And on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or to just say hello. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level patron, Zenra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Okay, let's get into the gaming news. This week we have a bunch of topics. Uh, so as you may or may not know, uh, this is a catch-up episode. I did not record last week, and in fact, this one's a bit late. Uh, I had COVID, then my family got COVID, and uh, it also happens to be a very busy time of the year for us personally. So, here we go. Uh, and, this, and just a reminder, that means that this news is going to you know, be some stuff from the last couple weeks. Star Wars Outlaws New Details. Uh, there was an interview with Julian Garrity, as well as I think some others. Uh, this is kind of a smattering of info uh, from the last couple weeks. And uh, Julian Garrity being the creative director, I believe, of Outlaws. Uh, he was also the creative director of Division 1 and 2. And uh, he likes to talk. <laughs> he, he, you can tell he enjoys interviews. And so uh, from those interviews, we got some new information about the Star Wars Outlaws game set to come out next year. The worlds are around the size of two Assassin's Creed Odyssey map regions. Uh, we're expected to have four to five and maybe even more worlds that we can explore. Uh, there's no procedural generation so that all of the worlds that we do explore and all of the areas are going to be handcrafted. Uh, there's predetermined landing areas for your ship and uh, it is not a two to 300 hour epic, uh, but instead will be a much shorter, uh, but still content significant uh, game. So all of this stuff is good to me. Um, the Assassin's Creed Odyssey thing was funny because a lot of pundits and stuff tried to kind of overanalyze that. Be like, well, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, some parts of the map are like as big as all of the first three games combined. And I, I just I suspect that if you think about the general, maybe the average size of one of the Assassin's Creed Odyssey map regions, and then, you know, you look at two or three of those that's you know probably what he was talking about rather than one extreme or the other so uh, that's a good size that reminds me of assassins uh, of star wars jedi survivor where some of the open world areas there um, were big and expansive but they weren't so big that you felt like you were like lost or that it was just filler or fluff so uh, and if there's four or five worlds that size that 
seems perfect. That's, uh, I assume we'll have different biomes and stuff like that. And uh, we know we have Tatooine already uh, because you can't have a Star Wars thing without that planet. Uh, but I suspect that we'll see something in the jungle, in the snow, um, maybe some industrial place, a city or something. So um, yeah, uh, that seems about right to me. And uh, I think that sounds really good. Uh, the no procedural generation is good. Um, whether you like the division one or two, uh, I, I think any reasonable person would look at those games and be able to acknowledge that the environmental storytelling and design and detail is insane. And so to know that they aren't using any weird tech to make like filler space and that the developers who have done such a good job with the environments in division one and two are going to be doing the same thing or have done the same thing with these planets. That's really exciting. And um, I think anyone should be pumped about that, uh, no matter how you felt about their uh, last couple games. Uh, predetermined landing areas, that shouldn't be too surprising. It seems like there will be freedom with uh, controlling your uh, spacecraft in space and combat and um, maneuverability, things like that. But when it comes to landing spots, like this game isn't going to be No Man's Sky. It's, you know, going to likely be more restricted than that. And that's okay. This game isn't meant to be that. So um, I, I think this is fine, especially with these worlds being large, but not impossibly large. Uh, and it will seems like we're very likely going to have the ability to use like speeder bikes and other vehicles. I don't think that this uh, landing thing is an issue at all. And the two to 300 hour epic not being a thing here. Um, my assumption with a game like this is we're going to be looking at a game that's maybe like 40 to 50 hours max. And if the game allows for different events depending on choices you make um that would be pretty good too because it would keep it small enough that you could go back and replay the game if you wanted to where you know even for me where i've been so obsessed with mass effect you know knowing that a playthrough even a pretty quick playthrough of mass effect you're looking at a 100 hour plus dedication there to do that over and over and over and over again is it's a big commitment and it basically means you aren't playing other things so um i think if this is a like a 25 to 40 hour uh it's, you know thing that you can get into something you can knock out in a couple weeks uh, and and then have multiple playthroughs if you wish that sounds perfect so star wars outlaws just continues to to be something that i'm really excited about the uh the big thing to me and, and it's, it may sound kind of dumb but every time i check out a trailer or something the the uh, the score the the soundtrack just is so epic and so good uh you know we're, we're about to be spoiled by that pretty soon i think with starfield which also just has this amazing kind of sound around it but uh the theme that we got to hear for outlaws during its trailers and gameplay so far has been like really really exciting and uh, I, I don't know if they're doing that internally or not. If like Ola Strand, who's uh, one of their music, uh, you know, directors there, uh, who has done the amazing Division One and Two soundtracks, um, I, I don't know if they're involved in this or not. But 
know, whoever is doing it sounds great. So Star Wars Outlaws, super excited for it. Really, really pumped to uh, hear more about it and hopefully eventually get my little thingies on it. Okay, the Xbox and ABK acquisition. <laughs> okay, so uh, they had a deadline themselves uh, of July 18th, I believe. Uh, they have, or else Xbox was going to owe uh, ABK like $3 billion or something. Well, they've obviously agreed to push that back and they've pushed it back to October. Uh, and this is interesting because a lot of people thought that after the FTC basically gave up, which is one of the updates here that the FTC, um, has, has, I believe will still have their case in August, uh, or September, uh, but their, their appeal, they dropped it and there's just, it seems like they're basically giving up. Um, so a lot of people expected that maybe Xbox and ABK would just push through the acquisition. Like, hey, we'll deal with the CMA over in, in, in uh, the United Kingdom. We'll figure them out. But let's just push this deal through and get things moving. Uh, and that didn't happen. And what's interesting is that this pushback of their deal to October uh, signals to me that all of these rumors that the CMA um, is is up for the renegotiation of their deal to potentially just fully approve it. Um, this seems like an indicator to me that that's the case. Um, it looks like Xbox and ABK are saying, okay, well, let's push it to October. And between now and October, we're going to satisfy the CMA for the United Kingdom. And we're going to just push through this deal entirely that this deal is going through. So, um, and, and that they won't have to do any weird finagling with how they operate in the United Kingdom, because it, even if the CMA doesn't approve, they're going to work their way around them is what uh, seems to be indicated most recently. So interested to see how that's going. Um, they did sign a deal with PlayStation for 10 years to keep Call of Duty on there. Um, this was an interesting move because um, if I remember correctly, the original uh, deal uh, that Xbox offered up was to keep uh, more than Call of Duty on um, PlayStation for, I think it was five years. Uh, but it seems like PlayStation said, nope, we don't care about the other IPs. We only care about Call of Duty and we want it for 10 years guaranteed. Um, okay. I, I think that is is interesting and it's really going to put any break. It's, it's going to put the brakes on anyone who in the future tries to say like, oh, well, like Xbox said that they would put all their, you know, you know, they, they, they would they want to keep games on all platforms. Well, they tried. They offered and maybe there will be one off deals. But Sony kind of said no to that deal. Um, I've also seen people say like, well, Call of Duty won't even be relevant in 10 years. I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> and, and, it, and it seems like, and, and I am curious to what's going to happen uh, over this decade, because what I think we're going to see happen is I think we're going to see PlayStation try really hard to establish some brand that can make up for that. I, I can't remember the numbers perfectly. I think they said last year um, that Call of Duty was responsible for almost like a billion dollars of their profit. Um, that's a big deal. It, it just is. Whether you like Call of Duty or not, um, you, you can, you know, if those financials that were leaked, uh, which I believe I'm correct, it was close to a billion dollars of their sales was just Call of Duty on PlayStation. That's, that's why they've been fighting this so hard. 
it seems obvious, you know, if it wasn't before, it should be now that that was a big deal. <laughs> like for that, that's a ton of money, especially to a company like Sony. Um, again, when we talk about the Sony Microsoft thing, we're not talking about two companies in the same stratosphere. You know, Microsoft is a hilariously bigger and richer and more, um, you know, a powerful company than Sony. Um, Microsoft, you know, has Windows still. Their Azure server, you know, system uh, is is second to only Amazon's, I believe. Um, they they have all of this stuff, and Sony still makes like pretty good TVs and cameras, and like the ten dollar headphones you can buy at Walmart, like. It, they're just different companies and um and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that and it makes it all the more impressive that playstation has been so dominant in the gaming sphere uh despite you know xbox trying to get into it and slaying sega and all of the stuff that has happened uh, i i just think that we need to remember <laughs> that that we're talking about two companies that are kind of dealing in different you know outside of, of just looking at xbox and playstation you know, where PlayStation's pretty dominant and is selling, you know, it looks like two or three consoles for every one Xbox. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it, they're two very, the, 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 the micro and macro situations here are very different. So I'll be really curious to what happens in the long run. It'll be curious to see if PlayStation is able to spin up a franchise that can, you know, even partially take over because in 10 years when this deal runs out, I'm sure Xbox will go to PlayStation and be like, okay, let's talk about the next, you know, Call of Duty. Let's let's do another 10-year deal. But they're going to ask for a ton of money. <laughs> you know, Xbox is going to say, okay, yeah, we'll do this deal, but you are going to pay us so much money for it because we know how much it's worth to you. So we'll see if uh, PlayStation can, can get something going in the next 10 years that will make them not think it's that valuable to them we'll see uh xbox and square enix have also uh you know made a pledge to work together um during a big uh live show uh a couple or, or one of the uh, major uh players at square enix uh on the stage show brought out phil spencer and they basically announced a uh, a dedication to working together more um, starting with Final Fantasy 14 and bringing that to Xbox. And it seems like they very well could be bringing more Final Fantasy games and other Square Enix titles, basically just Final Fantasy, because they sold off all of their Western studios that made other games. Um, it, it seems like there's at least some something going on here. Um, I have to imagine that Jim Ryan probably didn't love uh, that announcement and such. Uh, there's been rumors for years now that Square Enix was going to get purchased by Sony. That, to a lot of people, is still the most likely big acquisition to happen anytime soon. Uh, and this makes that seem weird. This makes that seem less likely. And so I'm really curious to how this plays out in the long run. If we'll see you know, Final Fantasy 16 ever hit uh, Xbox after their like five-year deal ends or whatever deal I'm sure you know Sony strong-armed them into. And, uh, you know, in, in, in other future Final Fantasy games and, you know, the Final Fantasy seven remakes and stuff like that. So, um, you know, Xbox is pretty desperately trying to get any kind of traction in Asia and especially Japan, uh, where they just get like 
there's places where Xbox and PlayStation compete pretty well. Uh, there's places like the United States where Sony has a pretty good lead, but Xbox is still doing well. And then there's places like Japan where Xbox, uh, I believe the Xbox One generation literally sold like maybe hundreds of units and maybe never even got more than that because I know that they sold more Xboxes of the current gen in like a few weeks than they did of the entire previous gen. And I think it was the Series S, uh, which sold extremely well in Japan for for whatever reason. So um, this deal with Square Enix is interesting. Again, I think it kind of throws a loop into those acquisition uh, rumors of Sony uh, quite a bit. Um, and it would be interesting if they do go ahead and buy them out. But right now, Xbox is uh, putting in a bunch of financial deals, a bunch of contracts on future games where kind of like what happened with some of the games um, at uh, Bethesda Zenimax, where Sony may end up acquiring Square Enix, but they may be forced to release at least a few games on Xbox still, uh, you know, as time moves forward. We will have to wait and see. I'm very curious about what comes from this. Uh, next story, Escape from Tarkov has wipes incoming. Uh, so if you know how uh, Escape from Tarkov is a first-person shooter, survival-ish uh, extraction PvPVE game. And it's a game where you have uh, tasks and missions. You uh, go into a map and you you kill AI or you kill other players and you take their loot, especially if it's better or if it's very valuable and you can go out and sell it. Uh, and it's essentially, uh, it's still in beta. Uh, it's eternally in beta. And a big event in this game uh, is called a wipe. And it typically comes when they're introducing a new map or some big update to the game that they want to test out on people from uh, from the beginning of the game to, to nothing. And when they do a wipe, it's they wipe the progression and the gear and everything of everyone in the game uh, all the way back to level one with nothing. Um, and, and they do this about every six months. Now, this situation has been unique that it's been a little longer. It's going to be looking more like seven or eight months. Uh, the last wipe was back in December of 2022. We're now looking at another, the next wipe being in August of 23. And what's interesting is that they've already kind of come out and say said that like, and the next wipe is in December. So like they're, they're going to do a wipe now and then they're going to do a short uh, you know, session and then December will have another wipe. So it'll be interesting to see if there's people who play less or more because of that, because they know it's a, it's a shorter, um, you know, round this time. Uh, there's some people who think that the wipe in December may be the 1.0 in the, the game coming out of beta. I don't think that's true. I think that will happen sometime at the end of next year in 2024, but we'll have to wait and see. I, I'm somewhat clued in on this game. I do enjoy this game a lot. It just also gives me a ton of anxiety. And depending on the mental state I'm in when they do a wipe, I either will play a ton for months or I'll play a little bit for a couple of weeks and then bounce away. So we'll have to see what happens this time. Uh, they did do some big updates to their roadmap. Um, there is a whole new version of the engine that they're working on. They use Unity, which is kind of the little brother competitor to unreal engine um it's got a lot of issues and it seems like the people who own it have some kind of harebrained ideas and it just isn't as good of an engine as unreal but it's a lot cheaper to license it so you see a lot of companies trying to use it anyways because it's the closest thing to unreal that isn't unreal it just isn't unreal so um 
you know, a lot of these roadmap updates are interesting. It's Battle State Games who makes um, Escape from Tarkov is like pretty famous and extremely well known for the fact that they have never ever actually met a timeline that they've ever set for themselves. Um, it's game dev. And so, you know, it, that's one way of looking at it is that these things happen, you know, it, you know these, they, and they never happen when you want them to and things like that. But there is also something to be said for the consistency of their inconsistency. So uh, Escape from Tarkov is a really unique game. I've got some personal issues with playing it. I think the devs are extremely shady. Um, I, I think that if you look at the story that is presented in the game, uh, it very much mirrors a lot of the rumors and a lot of the conspiracy theories that Russia floated to justify their invasion of Ukraine, like Western scientists making super soldiers. Uh, that's very much one of the a big plot point in Tarkov in that. Uh, the Russian government was trying to investigate this this Western company that was making serums that would make people super soldiers. I mean, it's you know, sometimes reality becomes life, or or, or a fiction becomes uh, becomes real, or or uh, the truth is stranger than fiction. Um, so you know, there's a bunch of kind of grody stuff about Tarkov, but it also is one of a kind and there's tons of extraction games coming out right now and just not a single one of them captures the quote-unquote magic of tarkov uh there's something different about it it's it's a janky mess that's shady but it also seems like it's staying popular because no one else can really recreate it so we'll see Starfield had a fun little update, probably a kickoff to their marketing for the next month until the game comes out. Uh, they had these settled system shorts uh, post on YouTube. There were three of them. I do suggest you go check them out. There's no dialogue. It's all told just in visuals and music and the music is just wonderful. And uh, what I liked about them is I saw some people be like, well, these aren't that big of a deal. I don't know why everyone's excited about this. It's because they aren't meant to be these like cyberpunk style, um, you know, little shorts uh, where they just like present a thing that is nowhere even close to anything you're ever going to do in the game. And it's just purely cool factor. The three stories told in these settled system shorts, I can almost guarantee you will be side stories or very similar to side stories that we run across on. Um, on, on the, the game and, and, and in the game and, and side missions and little side quests or just environmental storytelling. I can almost guarantee we're going to run into the, uh, the three scenarios presented. And that's really exciting. I, I think this was very much meant to be a, okay, here's a little wink, wink at what, you know, the kind of stuff that may be coming to you here in a month. So um, I found them to be really, really awesome. I'm going to do a whole separate video uh, talking about them um, so you can catch that uh, later this week or, or next week and uh, yeah Starfield can't wait letting the hype just happen uh, some hype speaking of hype uh, the next story is about uh, Armored Core 6 gameplay previews so um, it, it appears that a bunch of journalists and pundits were um, given pretty significant um, gameplay uh, time with uh, Armored Core 6 and uh, a bunch of uh, pretty well-known creators posted their thoughts and some video and stuff like that this week. And 
this game's interesting. It, it seems it's getting like more and more into my jam where like I'm interested in it, where I'm not typically um, interested in FromSoft games. And the thing is, though, is I played Armored Cores. I played at least two or three of them in my younger days. And every time they, they seem kind of fun for a minute and then I just kind of lose interest. And everything that I've heard them talk about and show about this game seems like it's right up that alley. So this is one of those ones that I'm going to hope that maybe one day it hits Game Pass in, in, in a very long time. Um, I don't think I can really justify spending 70 bucks knowing that Starfield's around the corner and I'm going to play that game for hundreds, if not thousands of hours. And I'm finding it real hard to, to not uh, to, to justify spending money on anything that isn't just going to be on Game Pass right now. So Armored Core 6 sounds like it's going to be really good. It seems like for fans of the series, it's going to be amazing. It, things, it seems like it's going to be a pretty good entry point for a lot of people. I'm still not completely sold, and it just it's just a fact that with Starfield coming, um, and then even like Baldur's Gate 3 and stuff, you know, coming very soon, it just has a tough hill to climb. <laughs> I, I just think it's it's got a tough situation there. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Okay. So um, I just wanted to do a quick discussion because uh, especially with Starfield coming out soon, even Baldur's Gate 3, Spider-Man 2 coming, um, will gaming journalists and pundits uh, even consider a game of the year that isn't Zelda Tears of the Kingdom? Um, th this has been kind of an interesting thing for me um, to, to think about ever since Tears of the Kingdom came out and got its just stellar, you know, uh, uh, e reviews and, and, and even today, like there's still a lot of podcasts that I listen to that, and, and maybe you do as well, where there's still people going on about this game and talking about how amazing it is, and how much they love it. Um, to the point where there's even some, uh, you know, some of the review sites and podcasts and stuff I listen to, you know, some of these crews have people on them who are just being like, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom is the best game I've ever played. And I don't think I'm even going to touch Starfield. And like, and that's fine. You know, people have different preferences. I'm sure these people love Breath of the Wild. You know, and, and maybe they just aren't into space games or into Bethesda style games. But like, to me, if you're trying to be a podcast or a creator or a, you know, a group of journalists or whatever, and, and you're expecting me at the end of this year um, to, to sit around and, and listen to people sit around and talk about their favorite games of the year. You know, a game like, you know, I think that there has to be at least two or three games every year where everyone just says like, yeah, I'm going to play it and I'm going to go hard um, because, you know, these are the top contenders and I'll try to play the other ones. Now, this year would make that especially hard because there are legit going to be 10 plus games that I think you can make pretty good arguments for for game of the year and then if you include remakes like resident evil 4 dead space and so on then it gets even more complicated but i really do have to say that you know if there's any reviews or any you know any of these uh conversations that happen uh that you know it, it happens where it's like it's obvious that tears of the kingdom is gonna win and especially if there's members of these conversations who just straight up say like yeah i just didn't play starfield seems like too much 
after spending hundreds of hours of playing some of these other games, I mean, to me, it's going to pretty much cheapen and, and make pointless any of those conversations. And at the end of the day, that they are. They are pointless. Even the Game Awards, you know, that, that Jeff Keighley runs, that is probably the one that gets the most votes from the most unique people and or there's some diversity in you know the, the voting base, the people who are voting, all of the, the different creators and journalists around the world that get um, asked to do that. The, the issue I have, though, is that it, it almost seems like among a lot of these folks that there's almost like a like rebellion against Starfield of like, it's like cool to not be excited about it and to just instantly write it off or you know, and, and, and especially any of them who talk about like, well, Tears of the Kingdom is, is my game of the year already, despite all of these other games that have come out or are coming out. Uh, and and it's, a, it's all about the conversation of what's second. Like, like that's just not true. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I think it seems like there's a consensus that a lot of people aren't expecting Spider-Man 2 to be a game of the year contender. They're expecting it to be a very good game. But it doesn't seem like anyone's really expecting it to be like the best game of the year. But it may make, you know, a lot of people's top five list, you know, and um, it, it, it's I just don't think that should be the same attitude we have for something like Starfield uh, or even like Baldur's Gate 3 and stuff like that. We're like, I, I really think that, you know, that people need to realize that, especially for Starfield, this is the first new IP from them. Uh, this is the first game in a long time after they made a small step forward with their engine and such. Uh, and it seems like, you know, they're taking an even bigger step this time. I just, I really hope that other games get a fair shake uh, because, you know, like last year with it being a very obvious Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok race, um, there were other games that, you know, I, I think should have gotten a lot more talk uh, and, and that were just as good as those games. My game of the year last year was a Plague Tale Requiem. And that game um, got a lot of nods and being like nominated for game of the year and other awards, but didn't win any of them because the other two games cleaned up everything. So we'll see. I mean, I guess if I was a big Switch fan and had, you know, and played Tears of the Kingdom and stuff, I would probably have a different tune here. But uh, as someone from the outside, when I see reviews and gameplay and people streaming tears of the kingdom just to me it just doesn't scream like this is the best game i've ever seen and um, i understand it's about the systems and things like that um, but i just i suspect that we'll see some equally impressive systems and such from uh from some other uh games this year but we'll see uh, Diablo 4 Season 1 has been through quite the journey in the two weeks since I recorded my last podcast. Uh, we They went from releasing a patch that everyone hated and uh, the Season 1 being underwhelming and not in the rewards not being very good to doing a couple of like, community chats where people still seemed a little perturbed, but at this point seem like generally happy with some of the reversals they're doing and, and stuff like that. Um it's what for me Diablo 4 has lost me I, I I played through the story I enjoyed it but even before season one came out and even before they did all of these changes I kind of have had my time I think a big issue is that in the lead up uh, and I've talked about this with other games um, I played through the first 10 to 15 hours of Diablo well, like three or four times with the the closed and open betas and all that stuff 
So for me, it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, if they put out some story DLC and things like that, I'll probably be interested. But I, I could care less. I have zero. I have negative 100 desire to go through and, you know, grind and level in-game stuff and grind these seasons and, and do this battle pass and all that. Like, nope, no thanks. I thought Diablo 4 was an insanely good game. It's easily in my top five this year. Um, but I'm not going to play a thousand hours of it. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and so uh, it is interesting to have kind of that take on it and then see everything that's been going on since in the background because I just don't care. <laughs> like, I just couldn't care less about what uh, about what they're doing with all this stuff. But for the people who do care, um, it's been quite a roller coaster. And I, and I do, like, feel bad for them. I, I feel bad that people uh, feel like they're getting kind of... Um, you know, screwed over here or, you know, kind of going on a roller coaster of good news and bad news, the ups and downs. Um, but it seems like they're getting it together. It seems like they're figuring out what they need to do um, to try to, you know, satisfy the community. And uh, we'll, we'll see how they do that in the long run. The Crew Motor Fest first impression. So I was uh, lucky enough and very appreciative um, to have Ubisoft offer me an early access code for their closed beta. I even got to stream and I had uh, Twitch drops. So if people wanted to uh, try to earn themselves a beta code for this, they were able to. Um, what I kind of said before in that the Crew Motor Fest, um, when it was shown at the Ubisoft show, just looks like Forza Horizon 5 at home. And it's exactly what it is. It's it's interesting. Uh, the, the, it actually feels okay to play. I, I thought the controls felt pretty good and stuff. And and it's a pretty game if you don't compare it to anything else. And that's not meant to be as big of an insult as it <laughs> surely sounds like. Um, I just... Um, I, I just... It, it looks like a last-gen game. Um, it looks like a very pretty last-gen game, but um, it, and it ran pretty well from what I could tell. But and, and the controls were pretty good. But like, God, Ubisoft just needs to stop with these intros that have like characters talking. And like, Riders Republic was such a cringe fest of a game, and it felt fine to play. I didn't particularly like it, but like, just their attempts to have these like. Hey man, welcome to Race Island, and this is where you're gonna find your new journey. Like, I, it's just it's awful. It's so bad. So I beg and plead for Ubisoft to stop doing that stuff um, because it, it, it's it's cringy in its own right, and then it's even worse when you start actually playing the game, and it just kind of feels like this empty mess compared to like Horizon Five. Um, I'm sure it's going to have its fans. The last crew game got like years of support, even though I couldn't believe anyone was playing it because it had the cardinal sin of being a driving game that felt bad to drive. Um, Motorsport feels a lot better to drive, and I think it's actually pretty satisfying in that way. It's just... I just don't know who was asking for this. There, There's a better version of this already. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens with uh with the future of the crew um xbox is sunsetting their live service uh so uh, they're replacing xbox live gold uh with uh the game pass core uh, it'll be the same price it will include online play 
uh, and that we'll have access to 25 plus games that will, um, you know, and more will be added as time goes on. So it's kind of like a cheap game pass, but the big thing about it is it's the exact same price as, as their current game pass gold. So you don't have to do anything, which wink, wink, like they're obviously doing this on purpose so that they can try to keep people on there who don't realize that they're paying uh, for the service. Maybe they haven't had an Xbox in 10 years, but they still have that attached to their credit card uh, and it's going to stay there until they notice. So um, the replacement with this core thing, all of this seems fine to me. The weird thing is that there is a there's Game Pass core that has Internet in some games. There's Game Pass console, which doesn't have internet access, uh, but has the typical Game Pass library, or, or what I mean by online, by like multiplayer online play. The console version doesn't allow it. I don't know why. Um, and then we have uh, Game Pass PC. Self-explanatory. And then Game Pass Ultimate, which is PC and console um and it has the internet uh, the multiplayer included and stuff like that so you know they're they're starting to get into sony territory of, of having overcomplicated um names for the their their streaming and their online stuff but overall i don't think this is a bad thing um it, this seems uh that the base you know game pass core uh does seem to have all of um you know the 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 things that it needs now and maybe now they need to work on simplifying it or adding value uh to game pass uh to really get people to jump on this hard um, especially after starfield comes out and forza's come in and hellblade 2 next year and so on and so forth so we will uh we'll see um nvidia 5000 series gpu rumors so this is kind of an interesting one uh so rumors came through that they uh, may be upgrading the memory bus, at least of the high-end cards, to 512 bits, and that the max VRAM of the 5090-ish cards, the, the, the high-level ones, could be around 32 gigs, which would be a pretty big jump now. Uh, but really, the first point is, is maybe the bigger deal. So um, the, uh, the memory bus, uh, I don't know every technical thing here, but basically, it's good to have a, a memory bus with lots of memory in it. And uh, one of the issues from the 3000 series of GPUs for NVIDIA to the 4000 is they reduced that. Now they claim that they had made up for that loss with speed in other places, and maybe they have. The reviews I've seen don't seem to say they have, but maybe they have. Um, it, it, it seems it's the limiter. It, it's the thing that, that has limited a lot of people um, and, and, and made them realize that, yeah, sure, maybe these 4000 series GPUs have more power technically, but because they don't have uh, this upgrade memory bus, that power is kind of limited. It's, it's the, the memory bus is the tires of the engine that is your PC power. And if the tires aren't good and they're bald and they're slippery, then, you know, it kind of makes the whole machine pointless. So, um, I'll, I'll be curious to what they do with this. I, thought I was in the market for a 16 gig 4060, but uh, they are pretty commonly being shown to barely being any more powerful than my 3060, despite having twice as much VRAM. Um, so I'm probably waiting till this 5000 series and, and maybe they've learned their lesson with all of this gouging and stuff in the current gen. And maybe we'll get a game that, um, you know, or a console that, uh, or, or hardware that doesn't seem like it's completely bloated uh, beyond all belief. 
Uh, Ubisoft account closure facts. This is a quick one. Uh, a bunch of creators and people on social media and stuff flipped out about a email that was received by a user telling them that their Ubisoft account was going to be shut down for inactivity. And what uh, came of it eventually was that it wasn't that simple. Um, and it's a thing that won't impact most people. And so obviously all the clickbaiters went hard on this uh, because dunking on uh, Ubisoft is pretty easy these days. Um, but the, the fact of it is, is that, sure, if you open a Ubisoft uh, account, Connect or whatever it's called, and you never buy anything, you never do anything with it, eventually they, they will shut it down. But if you've purchased games, they won't shut it down. If you're active, they won't shut you down. Like, I understand that this is a big argument for like game preservation and stuff, because in theory, they could take away your whole uh, library without you even knowing it. But I, I I think that, you know, I think this was a big nothing burger. And I think a lot of the people who push this so hard should probably apologize to Ubisoft. As gross as that sounds to say, it's probably the best bet. Uh, there's a new Xbox dashboard design. It actually does look really good. It's nice and clean and simple. I'm a big fan of it. I've seen some people complaining that they still have ads at the bottom that take up too much space. I mean, that's what Xbox does. They have ads in their dashboard. Um, they are like 99% always related to games and even games that you care about. Um, I, I have seen very little complete fluff. Uh, from the Xbox dashboard ads where like if you have a Roku, some of the stuff that they advertise to you is hilarious because it obviously isn't, you know, your jam. Um, but I, I think the new Xbox dashboard design looks great. Um, I am really bummed that they have announced that their uh, desktop companion app, they are, they are sunsetting it. Um, years ago, they introduced the Xbox app uh, and, and that was supposed to replace the, uh, the companion app uh, the problem is, is that the Xbox app is fine. You can download your games, do all kinds of stuff there, um, but you still can't view your media, your screenshots and video captures. And so I've still been using the, the companion app for that stuff. Uh, and now apparently that's going away. So I, I really hope we see that functionality in the Xbox app eventually at some point, uh, because downloading, you know, the highest quality, you know, possible screenshots from that, in my opinion, was always better. Uh, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. And then finally, the Twitter rebrand and some other stuff. Um, so Twitter's called X now. Apparently, I'm going to call it Twitter forever. You're going to see it referenced to here as Twitter. Uh, there's just no way I'm going to say follow me over on X. Not happening. You know what it is. I know what it is. And I think it'll probably become fairly insignificant before uh, I even begin to get used to it. So. You can find me over on Twitter as Bond Diesel, and you can find me on threads as Bond underscore Diesel, uh, and, and we'll leave that there. Uh, as for other changes, this episode is coming out on Monday morning. I think I'm going to stick with that. My plan will still be to record episodes on Friday afternoon or evening, uh, but then to put them on Patreon for a, a few days and give those people uh, a little more value uh, for, for their investment and their, their help um, and their tips. Uh, so, you know, consider it if you want to listen to it over the first weekend, you'll want to probably get onto Patreon and become a patron for as little as one buck. Everyone gets the episodes early with no um, commercials. And then we will have um, 
and, and, and then we'll just go from there. So my plan right now is to release a podcast on Monday morning and then have videos on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, Wednesday and Fridays, um, and then have like a VOD replay or something on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. But, you know, that's dependent on streaming, which right now, you know, has been a struggle and uh, we've not been I've not been doing much of. Uh, Bay Diesel is going back to school to start teaching again here in, in the next month, uh, which means our little one will be occupied and uh, I will be able to get back to some kind of semblance of a schedule uh, to stream more and stuff like that. But I, I always tell people the summers for me are kind of tough and they will probably continue to be that way. So thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. I also appreciate the patience while I was sick and while things were kind of crazy. Listener questions. If you have your own questions, be sure to use the Google form questionnaire. Ask in our Discord, uh, ask in the YouTube comments, or hit me up on Twitter at Bondiesel or at the EchoCast. Uh, the first question uh, here is from YouTube's uh, Mass Effect question per usual, and maybe a good question for a group discussion. Nope, we're doing it right here. The Mass Effect races of the original trilogy were all very intricate about what. Uh, which made them that much more interesting. I would like you to see pre-existing races expanded on any customs, principles, or beliefs that you'd uh, expect a, a certain race to have uh, that haven't really been touched on or uh, in lore. So I think a lot of it has been touched on in lore, maybe, but I would really like to see in-game representation of how the politics works like in person for the Turians, for the Salarians, even for the Asari, um, I would be interested in seeing uh, what a, you know, fully, you know, stocked up, staffed, you know, uh, Krogan government looks like in, in this new age or this this cure of this genophage. I'd, I'd be really curious to see um, some of their more inner workings. But I think more than anything, because they're one of the species I personally care for the most, but the the, the transition of the quarians assuming they get their plant back in whatever however they handle the ending it'll be really interesting to see how they go from being spacefaring kind of you know wanderers around the galaxy and scavengers uh and and then and see how they change or don't uh based on being able to take back their homeland um i have this really cool vision of seeing like you know, like buildings and skyscrapers, like clearly made from the carcasses of a bunch of the Corian ships um, where they've like repurposed them for temporary housing. And now they're building up on them and stuff. I think that stuff sounds really interesting. Um, so I so, yeah, a lot of their cultural and uh, especially the Corian uh, cultural and socio uh, you know, societal things, I think would be really interesting to see them expand on. Even though I believe a lot of that stuff has been kind of addressed or or at least peeked at in the comics and cartoons and so on and so forth. Uh, good question. Uh, Master Prime asks, uh, what other studio or publisher do you think Microsoft will buy next? I, I don't know. I, I think they're definitely going to continue acquiring. There's been the rumors for a long time of Sega. Um, that would be kind of interesting with like sonic and things and all of their very old school but their significant number of ips they own um 
I, I suspect that we'll see them purchase like small studios for quite a while if they do any acquisitions. I think it's Moon Studios that does Ori. It wouldn't surprise me if they snag them up. Um, I think we'll see a lot of, uh, if you remember, Undead Labs uh, was an acquisition they had years ago. Uh, it's the makers of State of Decay and State of Decay 2, and now the people who are making State of Decay 3. I think that we'll see acquisitions like that, where they are these studios who have been putting out some games with potential that seem like they have some talent, and Xbox is going to say, okay, come under our wing, here's a bunch of money, make some cool stuff. And, uh, and you know, especially with the acquisition of ABK coming up, uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they allow um, some newer employees and, uh, you know, people to do when it comes to side projects and things like that. So. Uh, again, another good question. Thank you, YouTube's and Master Prime. Again, if you have your own questions, please hit me up on um, the, the questionnaire, which uh, the, all of the links for everything are at the Linktree link in the description, no matter what, uh, which way you're listening to this podcast. Please go in there, support my other content, become a patron if you want, share this stuff, get in the Discord. The Discord's a pretty good option these days, and, uh, and, and we'll talk about stuff and you can ask me questions. And that's where we're going to wrap things up. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I am happy um, to get any feedback and uh, that you have. Please let me know in all the channels that I've talked about before. Uh, you can find me all over the Internet as Bond Diesel, including on threads, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram and over on Twitch. I do plan on beginning to stream a lot more here soon over on Twitch. And once YouTube gives me my partnership, I'll probably multi-stream and uh, you can you know, support on either or watch on either and chat on either and it will work for everybody. Uh, the big reason I've waited on YouTube is I think the, um, I don't like that, you know, people don't have emotes and stuff like that. Once I'm partnered, you will have that. So, uh, and I'll have memberships available on YouTube as well. If you prefer to give Google your money instead of Amazon, because whatever. <laughs> um, if uh, you can uh, see, find me over on the other places, uh, if you want to support my content, check out patreon.com slash bond diesel, subscribe over at Twitch or check out my merch uh, that is in uh, the link tree link in the description over on Streamlabs. That's all I have for this one. So until next time.